Welcome your Backup Plan tribe to another awesome podcast brought to you by your Backup Plan app. My name is Tina Ginn. Welcome, welcome. I get so involved in, you know, getting down to that that theme song that we have going on. Um, I am happy to be so happy, happy, happy to be here today with you guys. Um, talking to Boo with Tina. Yes, we have another interesting, interesting topic that I'd like to bring to you. And I've already got teary eyes. Yes, I've already done my share of crying today. So I'm not doing it anymore. We have such an interesting topic. You guys are going to just love it. I wish I knew that. Yeah, don't we? Don't we wish we knew a lot of things in life? And, you know, I'm bringing Gwen on our show today, and she's going to tell us, I wish I knew that. And I want to share it with other people because I wish I knew. And it's going to be so awesome. So thank you for showing up today for a great, fantastic show. Uh, I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. Just like that. Do you remember, Janie? It happens that quickly. In the blink of an eye things happen. And sometimes we are not prepared for it. I am a financial expert and an app developer of your backup plan app. I'm located in beautiful Vancouver, BC today. So welcome, welcome to our show. If you are new here, thank you for showing up. I bring out my strange, awkward hand to, there we go, hit on that subscribe button down there for me and you so you can hear more about our wonderful conversations. We focus on real raw conversations here uh, with our listeners about their journey from a life-changing event in their life. And people say to me, well, Tina, what is your backup plan app? What, what, what is that? It puts your life all in one place in case of any unpredictable circumstance while taking that painful aftermath out of that tragedy. Yes, um, I've been through it. I've experienced it. Um, and I knew there was a better way of putting things together for people so that it wasn't so horrible after, whether it's an injury or sickness or um, a loss of someone or ICU or the famous Florida condo collapse. Yes. Were we prepared? No. Were we prepared for the pandemic? No. Um, it's expect the unexpected because it won't happen to me. Nobody's Superman. I used to say that to everybody all the time. No one is Superman in this world, but we think we are definitely. Um, Mike Tyson's famous quote is, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Isn't that the truth? But um, we have a, a blueprint program coming very shortly with your backup plan app. It's going to be a library of videos and interviews of accountants and lawyers and agents and advisors from all over the world who can help you get your plan, your unique plan put together for you. And um, it will talk about policies, how to understand, how to purchase policies, understanding what you currently have, understanding what it is that you wish to have. Uh, those are all important things. And sometimes, you know, 
all of those people, the accountant, the lawyer, the attorney, the, the advisor, the insurance, they don't all jive together. And that's why you have your backup plan app to help you guide you through that process. So if you are new here, welcome. If you have returned as a listener, thank you for joining. Because if you found us, you found us for a reason. Hit that subscribe button, click on that bell. I'd like to welcome my United States and Canadian viewers and listeners. Uh, thank you. Uh, they're ever increasing every every single week. My next largest viewers are from Germany, then Italy has just beaten Ireland. So it's like this country of, of challenge here of who's going to become bigger uh, listeners. Meine deutsche Freunde in unserem Podcast. Willkommen, wenn Sie kommen. I'm getting my words all mixed up in my mouth. Also, danke für deine Freundschaft. Danke fürs Hören, meine deutsche Freunde. So, thank you so very much for listening, my German listeners. Um, I'll have to listen. I'll have to, you know, figure out my Italian if you guys are going to be beating the Italian group up there. Um, I can talk American, I think. Yeah, if I don't say about. I can I can manage that. So thank you for listening. I am so excited to have Gwen Dudley on our show today. Um, she comes to us from Maryland. She's a realtor, and I'm going to bring her her on right now. Welcome, welcome, Gwen. Hi. I am so excited to have you on. You are a realtor, of course, in Maryland, which is awesome. You are an advocate for mental health and addiction, and you have quite, quite the story. Um, I understand that you are becoming certified as a grief coach, which is really, really exciting. And um, I just wanted to find out, you know, I wanted to bring you on because this is an ever-growing, ever-growing every week of more and more addictions and mental health issues around the world. Um, United States and Canada is definitely up there. I know our suicide rates and drug overdoses are increasing daily. And I want to thank you for coming on and being um, open to discussing your situation. And I've watched it on TikTok. I've watched you grow and I've watched you um, want to help other people. And it's just so it just brings love into my heart to think that you do. So thank you, Gwen, for coming on. And um, where did uh, all of this start for you? Well, my history with addiction in broadly or more recent. Uh, How how's it changed you? You know, did you start younger as as someone who got addicted to alcohol, was it? Yeah, so alcohol and cocaine were my um, drugs of choice. I definitely experimented with other things. The first time that I ever drank, I was 13. I grew up in a pretty chaotic environment. Um, there was definitely, you know, uh, my mom's watching, so I don't want her to feel offended at all. But you know, she knows she had addiction issues, like she had a horrible childhood. And a lot of people pass that along, you know, and that's something that I struggle with and want to not do with my son. But 
Um, you know, I understand like where, where things went with her, but you know, that put me in a situation where the house that I lived in was constantly in turmoil and I didn't feel safe. And, um, at a young age, I was sexually abused, um, about 12 years old. And that really set me off in a path of, um, mental health struggles and, you know, turning to substances is just kind of a no brainer, you know, for me, ending the stigma is so important because addiction stems usually from mental health issues and trauma. Yeah. And that's medical, you know, that's not, this is a bad person. That is a medical issue and there shouldn't be so much shame around it. And addiction doesn't discriminate. You know, I have people on my TikTok comment, they're like, you don't look like an addict. And I'm like, well, most of the addicts I know don't look like addicts. Um, but, you know, it started for me like pretty innocently, you know, at young, at 13 years old, drinking Smirnoff ice with my friends and progressing, you know, little by little to pot. Um, I think there's so much... Um being part of the group though, too, right? At that age. Yeah. So you have your own issues, but you're doing it and then you're getting other people. You're becoming a group of you doing it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And all the kids that I was hanging out with were older and, you know, I related to the misfits, the people with other mental health issues. Um, so you all kind of feed on each other at that age and you're just looking to feel a part of something. Being safe, being part of something. Family, you know, and if you have a struggle with family at home, even then, and that's kind of what happened with me. It was, you know, I didn't feel supported and that was a place that I felt supported. That was a place that I felt a part of and where things made sense. Um, and you know, I, my younger years, I don't have to get too much into that, but I did end up becoming a ward of the state because of so many issues acting out in school, not going to school, fighting in school, um, you know, threatening suicide at a very young age. So I was put in like institutionalized pretty young for a couple of years. Um, so when I finally got out in high school, in like a normal school setting, again, just wanting to fit in so badly. And mm -hmm. alcohol became my go-to. Um, drugs became a part of my story in my late, like mid to late 20s. Before that, it was all um, binge drinking. So what do you think turned it around for you? I had to hit a pretty low bottom. I wonder why that is. Why do we have to hit rock bottom before we can, that's just like Murphy's law or something. Right. I think it's, it's just not fair. <laughs> right. I, yeah, God, I wish that it, it could have happened sooner, but at the same time, everything in my opinion happens at the right timing. And so, um, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't change anything of the bad things that happen because they taught me so much and led me to where I am at this exact moment. 
Well, that's being thankful for what you've been through. And, and yeah, uh, because a lot of people turn offense to all of those things and become angry about it instead of being thankful for what you've learned. Right. Absolutely. And it's just a mind shift, I guess, but it's really hard to do. Yeah. And what you're talking about is so paramount to my recovery um, that like they call it a psychic change in um, AA when you do the 12 steps of recovery. So for anybody in the recovery community, you have 12 step programs that help you get sober. You go to meetings and I went to rehab at 26. That was my first rehab, one of three. Again, you know, slow, slow to learn, but that's okay. Um, but I mean, does anybody ever just do one? Like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone just do one rehab. <laughs> Not the people that I know. <laughs> You're right about that. Yeah. Three was hopefully my lucky number on that third time. Yeah. I hope. And you must dread it every time. Oh, I have to go. You must hate it. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to go to rehab. You don't want to, it's like admitting defeat, but it's not. I mean, to me, it was a reset and you have professionals there and that's where I was introduced to recovery. And I met people who were like me and finally I felt understood. I felt like for so long I was trying to portray this other persona of myself as, you know, everything, wanting to put a pretty face on, wanting to look like I had my life together and I was crumbling inside and going to rehab. Nobody's on a winning streak. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're all just like, yeah, our lives are pretty shitty right now. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you and I are both in the same place. Oh, yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, and to get people to go, you can't make anyone, can you? No. I mean, you, there are people who go to rehab and they're forced by the courts or their families give them an ultimatum. And sometimes that is the start of their journey and they will get sober that way. But that is few and far between. Usually yeah. you have to want it for yourself. Um, otherwise, you just end up going back to it. Yeah, because I was thinking you can't change anything unless you really want to inside. Exactly. So you could go to rehab six or seven times, and I guess it just doesn't get in there to the core. Yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons that people relapse. You know, a lot of people who are unfamiliar with recovery as a whole they think, or they don't have addiction as an issue for themselves. They think, oh, my son or my boyfriend's going to rehab and now he's cured. And that is just the beginning. Rehab is literally just the beginning. It's not a cure. You're never cured, you know, of addiction, really. I mean, there's always going to be maintenance that needs to be done spiritually um, to stay on track and to have the right people in your life and the right support and it's a balancing act and um, yeah, it's rehab to me is just the beginning. 
rehab is like that place that you can go get a nice cup of coffee and talk to somebody, I guess. Um, if you, I guess, if you can think of it that way, yeah. stop it, get your juice, so to speak, or your, your meds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your, your good thoughts or whatever it is. Um, so tell me a little bit more about how this then, where did you meet your spouse? Where did you meet him during this same time? Um, so before Duffy, who I'm going to talk about because his story is very much a part of what, um, got the ball rolling for what I'm doing on TikTok and my advocacy. Um, before that I, my ex boyfriend named Harry, we met in that first rehab. Um, <laughs> great place to start a relationship. <laughs> So do you advise people not to? Don't do it. <laughs> Please don't do it. <laughs> we, were, we fell in love very quickly. He was absolutely an amazing person. Um, but we both had so much pain and so much damage. And we had no business being in a relationship. And um, we certainly weren't lifting each other up. And, you know, I don't think love is enough in a relationship. I think there's so many more things that go into that. And um, we relapsed very quickly together. And for um, a couple years, there was a period of time where I had a year sober in that time frame, um, but relapsed. And then we both were, that went to some of the darkest times of my life. Um, and it ended with me overdosing. Um, and I knew that if I kept going that yeah. I was going to die. Like I knew that in my gut, like when I came out of the overdose, I felt that I was given another chance. Um, there was definitely a spiritual weight to that. And um, we parted ways and um, he struggled off and on for about 11 months after that. I think he was sober for a little bit here and there, um, but he passed away um, almost a year later from overdose. Oh. I'm sorry to hear that. So he continued to use, I guess. Yeah. Um, off and on. And you know, he tried to get sober. Um, he went to a sober house right before he, before this all happened, he was getting healthy again and he looked amazing. You know, I was seeing him at meetings and was so, so happy to see him there. And, um, I was actually pregnant at the time with Duffy, Duffy and I have a son. And, um, so I just was completely emotionally wrecked by it. And, um, I don't know. It's very, very difficult. But yeah. You can imagine what it's like working in those places. I would die just because you don't, it's like dementia and Alzheimer's and you just don't know who's going to be here today and who's going to be gone tomorrow. Yeah. And that's how it is. Even just being in AA, you, you don't know who's next. And it's like people die all the time. And even if you don't know them super well, 
it feels like a comrade, you know, you're all in this battle of addiction together. And so another fallen to me, a soldier, like addiction, yeah. the hardest battle that I've ever had to face other than my grief, my current grief. Um, That's tough. Especially in combination with. Exactly. So, so then you met, where did you meet Duffy then? We met in recovery. So we, uh, we were friends and, um, you know, he was super handsome and smart and, um, we fell in love very quickly. Also, it was, um, you had a lot in common. Yeah. So what, tell me a little bit about his background. He struggled for many years as well, like childhood and stuff. Yeah, we actually did have a lot in common. We both were institutionalized. So he was, I believe, a ward of the state also. He struggled with mental health issues drastically. Um, his father was an alcoholic. And his mom worked really hard trying to raise two boys. But um, for any single mom, it's extremely difficult. And any single mom knows that. And um, yeah. he spiraled. And alcohol was his first thing. And then eventually it was opiates. Um, I know it didn't help when he was put on. He um, fell from like a rock face and hurt his, um, he had like his elbow, like he had a massive injury essentially. And they put him on Oxycontin. And uh -oh. um, yeah, that is, that is really like the birthplace for um, the opiate epidemic is that drug Oxycontin and the pharmaceutical companies, those, those are the real um, villains in all of this. But, you know, it gets, the opiate receptors are very complicated. And at a young age, what that does to your brain, it, it becomes a battle that you're going to face probably for the rest of your life. Um, I think Michael Jackson had that same problem because he was on different painkillers and then it just progressed. Right. And I think there's a couple fighters and other celebrities with the same get addicted to painkillers. And I think, yeah, I think one of them was Darren on Bewitched. Oh, Do you really? remember that TV show? I remember it, but I didn't really watch it much. Yeah. He, um, he was on painkillers for his back. And then of course it turns into drugs and alcohol. And right. matter of fact, quite a few times I'd read that he couldn't do his show. He couldn't act. Um, he'd be drunk at, at, on the show. Yeah. Um, so that's why the Darren's changed. Oh, yeah. Know. So it happens to everybody. Amazing. Um, so he struggled, but when you guys were together, you seemed to be, you know, like it seemed like you had each other's back, I'm sure. Yeah, I love that you say that because, um, sorry, that makes me emotional. Yeah, you need a fan like me. <laughs> Turn a fan on. Because you, ha you have to be there for each other. You've, you've, gone through it so much yeah 
Yeah, that's something that we always said to each other. And no matter what happened in our relationships and the struggles we faced, we always said that, like, I have your back. Like, we always had each other's back. And that was invaluable to me. I've never had a relationship and a love like what I had with Duffy. And um, we built a life together. You know, we went from, <laughs> he lived in a homeless shelter and I was living in somebody's guest bedroom after I overdosed. And it was like, we built a life that we were so proud of. And he ended up working for the health department as a peer support specialist, which is somebody who goes into the ER when someone overdoses and gets them into treatment and links them up with treatment resources. And he loved that job. He, he saved people's lives. I mean, we would be, yeah, it was amazing. He, we would be in public and people would come up out of nowhere and say, I don't know if you remember me, but a couple months ago you got me into treatment and you saved my life. And I saw that happen many times. Um, and that was the kind of effect that he had on people. He was, there isn't another person that I know like him. Um, well, to think that your inside is different than your outside. Right. It's crazy. And we were talking about this before the show. Uh, I mean, Robin Williams, like he was the funniest man on the earth, <laughs> you know? And it's like, what? Yeah. How, how can that be? Like you, you're a super good actor or something, but to save people's lives and have that, like, how can that not affect you and then not change him from inside out, you know, like, and to still have that agony inside. Yeah. Jeez. If we could just take a shovel and dig it out, right. throw it away. Oh, that would be nice. Jeez just like it gets shoved down there and you can't get out of it you can't get you can't bring it up and get rid of it and oh. that's, that's why people turn to drugs right because you want a magic pill you want a quick fix you want to be rid of this pain and a lot of times it's so complex and there are so many layers and the amount of effort it takes and you know just to live life let alone to battle addiction and trauma and, and work through, you know, you've got to go to therapy, you've got to go to meetings. It's its own part-time or full-time job. And then you have to function in life. And so, yeah, exactly what you're saying is like why people um, turn to drugs and alcohol, just wanting yeah. to get rid of that. Yeah. Versus, that pain. Yeah. Um, so how did you were with him for three years then? Three and a half years. Maybe three yeah. and a half years. Because mm -hmm. um, your little guy is just three now. Yeah. And that's awesome that you have him to to lean on, I'm going to say. I, I guess he should be leaning on you, but I know it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what do you think you wish you knew? Hmm. You know, because, I mean, you had all the answers. You've been through it many times. But but why do we not know? Like, I, I 
what, what do we need to know to help somebody? I wish that I knew how bad it really was, even being in recovery and having so much experience with addiction. I was in denial. I, he thought he had it under control and I thought I, you know what I mean? Like he wanted it hidden from people. And so I was trying to cover things up and I wish I had known how bad it was because I would have involved more people. What do you think you would have done? What options do you have? Well, you know, I would, I talked to my brother after and he was very close to Duffy and, um, I don't even know if we've established yet on here that Duffy passed away from a drug overdose. True. Um, we didn't. I don't know if we've said that, but for context, um, about a year ago. Yeah. A year mm -hmm. ago, uh, May 2nd. So we just had the one year death anniversary. Um, but my brother was like, why didn't you call me? And you know, there it's like, there are multiple people that, I, I did call his mom and ask her to come over one time. And he completely um, was, he was very angry with me for doing that. Um, so I wish I had known how bad it was. And. Um, but how do we know how bad it is when you don't even know how bad it is? Right. You're right. I don't think we do. And unfortunately it's Russian roulette now. It's not like people, you know, in the nineties who are overdosing on heroin, they were taking too much heroin. Now all the drugs are laced with fentanyl, even pot, which is insane. Yeah. That's it's terrifying. And so it's not like people are overdosing from taking too much of a drug. They're being poisoned, essentially. And so they don't have a chance. And you, you don't really know how bad it is because not enough time goes by before, boom, that's it. They're gone. I mean, they say every 12 minutes now somebody dies from a fentanyl overdose. Yeah. In this country. And that's. And it's not like you don't know when you right. get it or take it. But why do you, why do you take it when you know it could be? Well, it's still relatively a new thing. I mean, there are young kids who are dying from taking a, a Xanax that's pressed, right? It's fake. It's a fake Percocet, a fake Xanax. Um, you know, they had these cadets from West Point who died on spring break, young kids who were just experimenting with cocaine. And so people don't know. That's the other thing on TikTok that's really important is educating so people understand. I mean, I have so many parents who will comment on my lives or my posts and say, what's the deal with fentanyl? They don't even know what it is. They don't understand it at all. And, you know, Duffy knew the dangers. Of course he knew. Because he, he saw it firsthand. Yeah. That was his job. But he genuinely thought he had it under control. And that's the insidiousness of the disease of addiction. That you just, do you think he just thought, well, I'll just take this and feel better for the moment. And 
worry about me sliding backwards later. Right. Well, it becomes a chemical thing where your brain, it's not because he would, it was a battle between him and the addiction. I mean, he would cry to me about how he wanted to stop. He would try to stop really, really hard. And then he would go get high and he'd be crying on the way to go get the drugs. And I know that because, you know, I was right there with not going to get the drugs, but just, no, you know, being yeah. through that whole process. And um, it wasn't him. That's the thing. Like a lot of people see the, their loved one in active addiction and they're like, who is this person? This is not my son. This is not my brother. This is not my husband. Because it's not. It really is like a, a chemical issue um, that happens to your brain once you put opiates specifically um, are like the worst with that mental obsession. And, you know, there are many other drugs like meth and it's even cocaine. That's more of a mental thing. Um, but with opiates, you get dope sick. And that's something people will do anything. That's the stealing, the lying. That's the thing you'll do anything. So you don't have to be dope sick. Um, and for anybody who's been dope sick, they understand why. <laughs> um, Cause you're literally sick. Oh yeah. It's so, it's like the worst sickness. It's like the flu times 10 from what I'm told. I've never been dope sick, but Duffy told me about it many times. And I have a lot of friends who have been and. Um, there's a really amazing show on Hulu. It's called Dope Sick. And it has Michael Keaton as the star. And he's actually in recovery. And he's one of the producers. And it chronicles the rise of opiate addiction through um, Oxycontin. And it shows what being dope sick looks like. And how, you know, you have like this one girl character that is um, amazing in school. She's like a hard worker, you know, just this unsuspecting person. She gets injured at work and gets put on Oxycontin and becomes a lying, stealing, um, somebody who can't stop. And it's, it's horrible. And it, it just showcases what this problem is very, very well. So I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to understand addiction more. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, that's, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Um, but I do know that watching your videos on TikTok has made my eyes open more of, I, I mean, you, I think people generally make, think that homelessness and addiction kind of go hand in hand, but it's just the average person, the middle age, the the lawyer, the accountant that has issues too. Yeah. And it, it's so sad because um, I think they know, but they just want a break, I guess. They just want a break from life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I distinctly remember this. Um, Duffy would tell me about the overdoses sometimes. I always found it so intriguing and this one woman who came in who was a soccer mom and you know upper middle class 
none of her family knows that she's addicted to heroin. Oh dear. Yeah. And she overdosed and she's like, I got to go. I got to go to my kid's soccer game. And he's oh. like, no, you need help. You know, like you just overdosed. And she's like, I, I have to go. Like, and that's just a perfect example of, you know, you, you don't know. And that's why ending the stigma is so important because if we can just talk about these things, that's everything, communication, vulnerability, sharing your feelings, being accepting of other people and the pain that they're going through can save lives as simple as that. And we all want that at the end of the day, we all crave connection. We crave being able to be real with each other. And so the more that we can do it ourselves, it inspires other people to do the same, I think. Yes, absolutely. That's what I say. <laughs> right. You're about being real and raw. I love it. <laughs> Share the love because uh, I, I'm, I'm very lucky on TikTok. I haven't had any bad comments and I, I noticed that you do. Um, I'm very lucky. I, I haven't had any. Um, I'm sure there will be. <laughs> TikTok seems to. I don't know, brings all these weirdo people yeah. <laughs> everywhere. But um, to not say that too kindly, but, and and I understand like what you're doing, it's kind of like what I'm doing. Um, trying to get the word out there, trying to help people understand. And some people just don't get it. And yeah. I think painkillers is probably one of the worst situations I've seen. Uh, with people getting addicted to other other things, right? But trauma. I mean, I I just don't even know with the Ukraine war, like what's going on, uh, how those people are going to recover from this trauma. Right. I I really don't know what this is going to do to like twelve year olds or ten year olds or nine year olds that have been raped by by military. I like how can you get over that? Um, and so we all have had these strange situations and I mean, sexual encounters, I guess you could say, whether it's touching or more has happened to so many girls, yeah. especially with friends and family for generations, years and years and years and years. Yeah, exactly. But for some reason now it's in combination with the stress of, of, life around you, I guess, as well. So where, what do you think you could have, could you have done anything differently? I mean, with Duffy, I, I know I'm not the only one to ask that question. And I know it's gone through your mind. What could I have done? And I had a lady on our, as a guest a couple of years ago, who lost both of her children to drug overdose. Um, I don't know how you overcome that as well, but you know, you, you think, you know, I just, it's such a, such a strange thing. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, the person might leave fine in the morning, but in the afternoon they might have, it's like grief, you know, it just comes like a wind comes yeah. through you. Yeah. And I hear these stories a lot on TikTok. I mean, 
I've been talking to so many women and I just started a grief group for those who've lost somebody to substance abuse. We had our first meetings last week and it's every two weeks. Um, and there are so many women, especially who are losing their, you know, husbands, their partners. Um, and then of course, mothers losing their children, but it's at this point, because of the fentanyl, it's not like you can have some time to get help. It's boom. You know, nobody thinks it's going to be them. This fentanyl stuff is still, the media is not talking about it the way that they need to be. Um, I mean, what they just seized the, the fentanyl that they just seized is like unbelievable. And it's coming over the border all the time. And yeah, they're not doing anything about it. And so, you know, what could I have done differently to answer your question? Or, you know, I've definitely thought about that. Um, these are just the things I go through in my head, like based in reality. I don't know that these are based in reality, but when somebody you love dies, you're going, I think everybody has guilt. I could have done this. Yeah. I could have done that for whoever it is. Um, I just wish I had been more emotionally available to him. Um, my dad had just passed away, um, six months prior and I was still processing that I had started a new job as a realtor and was very, very busy. My son had just turned two. So everyone who has a toddler knows what that's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and He's trying so- to make everything right. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I had um, prioritized, but at the same time I spent, I would spend hours and hours at night talking to him. And I mean, I I tried everything. The only thing that I, I come back to is I wish I had gone to the city and picked him up, like physically went and got him when I wanted to, because just a few hours before he overdosed, I almost went there. Somebody said, don't because I'm in recovery and I'm putting my own recovery at risk um, by going to the place where I used to get drugs. Oh, so, um, and in Baltimore city, it's like an open drug market. You can literally drive up and get whatever drugs you want. And the cops, Oh, really? Yeah. Cops don't do anything about it. You drive up, you get the drugs you want, you give them money and you leave. And it's that easy. It's like a drive through Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. Or a whole twisted drive-through, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll see you again tomorrow, kind of thing, as they're buying it, as they're going driving away. See you in an hour. See you. Real. Yeah, I guess. See you tomorrow. Yeah. And your friends. Right. I. I. I guess. We don't know. Well, we don't know what we don't know, I guess, but um, I don't think we're ever going to find the answer, of course, because it's it's not just addiction, it's mental health. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't know. Um, they must have lost such a good guy at work for his job to what he was doing, you know, Um and he must have gotten so much pleasure out of that. I'm sure he must have. Oh, must yeah. have felt really good. 
Loved it. Yeah. Um, so if the closest people to you can't fix it, you, his family, I, your mom, your dad, you know, whoever, what do you, what would you advise people to do to go away maybe or, but that's only if you see the signs, but everybody says they always look fine. Yeah. I mean, if you have an addict who has been relapsing over a long period of time and you know, their patterns, it's, you, you start to see the signs pretty quickly. Um, you know, just their behavior changing things in their life that are slipping them not having enough money. Um, if you get that far, you know, and that they don't die. Um, I think that there's a fine line between enabling and supporting. And, you know, one of the things with Duffy was, I'm not letting you get high in the house. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to stand for certain things that I stood for when I was dating Harry because um, I know where that led me. That led me to relapse. That led me to overdose. And I had to think of our son. And so really at the end of the day, for anybody that loves an alcoholic or an addict, the best thing I can say is, you know, it's like the most horrible, one of the most horrible things, not just to be an addict and alcoholic, but to love one, um, because your hands are tied most of the time. And the best thing you can do is offer love and support, love and support. I'm here for you. I love you. I don't judge you. I want to help you in any way that I can. Mm -hmm. And I will help you if you want to get help, but I will not give you money. I will not let you get high in the house we're living in. I will not, you know, support in the ways that keep them using. Um, like, you know, Harry's mom, for instance, she went through such a long road with him and she was very good with boundaries for that. And, um, you know, she, she didn't question that because she knew what it looked like um, over a long period of time. And she had to, she had other things, other kids and her own life that she had to worry about. Um, and it's, you have to be super strong to do that. I mean, it's so hard. I don't know what it's like to have a kid in addiction. Um, so I, I don't know what I would do in that situation because how do you kick your child out? How do you leave your kid homeless? But at the end of the day, like they really do have to get the help for themselves. That's the only way. I mean, if you force them or if they get arrested, you know, that's another incentive for people is yeah, the courts will offer. You can go to treatment or go to jail. Um, but yeah, it, it is up to that person. And I know no grief is different than the other, like losing a child or losing a partner or losing a family member it's it's, it's it's the same it's the same thing um it's just that when you live with the person you you have that grief now because they're not there in the house with you when you wake up they're not there when you come home they're 
you know, all of those kinds of things. So you have to bear that. Yeah. Like, feels like all these swords on your back all the time because you're having to, I got yeah. through another day. I did it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the truth. I was just talking to someone earlier about that. Like everywhere you go, every corner you turn in your house, every, you know, every. You go out and you see something, a commercial or an ad or somebody at the teller says, oh, happy Mother's Day to you or, you know, whatever. And they didn't know that you just lost a child. Right. Or or the commercials about what you're going to buy your mother for Mother's Day or birthdays or anniversaries. and Right. And I know that you had a hard time with your son's birthday um, because it brings up all those emotions. Yeah. And um, so what do you think you could do for your son that's going to be different you're going to look at things differently than the average mom. Definitely. You're going to have real open, honest conversations with him at a younger age than maybe some people might. Um, about how it works. Yeah. About what happens. Yeah. And that he's genetically predisposed. Um, he's going to want to know what happened to his dad and until he's able to understand to an extent what addiction looks like, I'm going to let him know he was sick because addiction is classified by doctors as a disease. Um, now explaining the extent of that, um, I don't know what age is right. I'm just going to do my best with it. But you know, he goes, he sees me going to meetings and, um, they have a daycare at the place now where I go to a meeting. So it's like, he knows we're going to a meeting. And so eventually he's going to be like, what are you doing in these meetings? You know what I mean? Yeah. Who are all these people? <laughs> um, so I'm just going to be very vigilant and honest and open with him. And, um, I want him to feel comfortable with me. I don't want him to feel like he's going to be punished or, um, judged, judged. Exactly. If he talks to me about certain things, you know, like my friend, one of my best friends, she's an addict also. And her son just recently, um, said that he had smoked, been smoking pot and like, he was honest with her and that's not easy for a teenager to do, but yeah. she set that up over a period of time, honest, open communication so that he knew he could talk to her without some crazy thing happening, you know, like being like, you're grounded and that's it. Yeah. You're not seeing your friends anymore. Yeah. You stay away from them. Right. <laughs> you're grounded for a month. <laughs> like, right. whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Sharon Osborne says, I'd love to hear more about your plans. Are you becoming a coach for the grieving one suffering from addiction, et cetera? Will it be virtual? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, so I'm working on getting certified as a grief coach and I'll be coming up with a comprehensive workbook talking about, I don't want to say the stages of grief because like what in the past traditionally was known as the stages of grief, 
that is not um, what I find to be helpful necessarily. And the people that wrote that book even said that they did not mean for it to be like the foundation of grief now because of grief is not linear. There aren't these, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that, and that's it. it you're in this stage right now. Yeah. Yeah. One day I can have all of them. You know what I mean? One hour I can go from angry to sad to blame, you know, all of that denial. But, um, you know, just coping mechanisms, coping skills. I've had people on TikTok ask me if I was going to do any mentoring. Um, and so that is something that I really want to do because I'm not a grief expert. I'm not a grief master. I'm just somebody who going through, through it. Yeah, exactly. And there's power in that, in helping each other when you're going through the same experience, you know, somebody who's not lost their significant other um or had a major loss in their life they're not going to be able to help me in the same way no so i'm gonna within the next month i'm gonna have more information on that it will be virtual it will be virtual zoom um meetings and then i'll also probably be doing grief groups um as well as the one-on-one and providing the workbooks and then my friend Allie and I, she's a yoga instructor and she's actually a certified trauma yoga instructor. We're going to be launching a grief yoga retreat in March of 2023. So that's something that is also going to be really exciting for anybody who wants to get away. And, you know, yoga has been huge for me and my grief. So I just want to share that with, um, and Allie's amazing. She lost her husband to an overdose six months before um, I lost Duffy. So, oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't and that funny how the universe brought you together? I know. Well, it's, to me, it's totally meant to be. And that's, yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, I think we all have to find that something like you found yoga. It might be meditation or it right. might be, um, like for me, whenever I got sad, I would walk, 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 walk. Yeah. I didn't, I lost 50 pounds. So that was good. <laughs> but at the same time, like, uh, you have to find that something, whatever that is, roller skating or dancing or singing or yoga or exercise or weight training or I, I don't know. You have to find something. Exactly. What, what makes you feel good? Mm -hmm. Even though you hate to go, right? You hate to go to it, but once you're there, you're fine. Right. And you know, afterward, it's gonna, it's not going to cure your grief, but it's going to take the edge off and it's better than numbing you know that's the other thing with grief is so so much of it is connected to substance abuse like how many people end up having a drinking problem or a drug problem because they lose somebody they love and they don't have coping skills and so they end up becoming addicted just from grief that's crazy when you think about it isn't it because that person who passed away did not want them to do that that's for sure right but we just cover it up, I guess. Sean says, I'm so proud of you. So that's awesome. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> um, 
I wanted to mention also, what kind of mess did did he leave you in a mess to try to figure out, you know, when someone passes away so suddenly like this, it, it can't be easy to put the pieces of his life together. Was it messy even though you were married? And Well, we actually weren't um, officially married. We were, um, we wanted to get married, but... Um, well, you might as well have been. Yeah, and we always call each other husband and wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's only a ring on your finger and a, and exactly. a, a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, he... I mean, I wouldn't say it was super messy. He didn't spend that much money on drugs because it happened so fast. Um, the only thing really that, you know, financially that was a struggle was that, um, you know, if somebody doesn't have a will set up, which is just like your app, it's so important to have these things set up. Um, it goes into the estate and until taxes are filed, all that money is just held. So, um, yeah. the way that it worked out, it's like, we're, we were kind of in a holding pattern with those things. He did damage the vehicle, I believe. And they towed that. And so there was a whole hassle with the tow company. You know, they're just like these little things. It wasn't as bad as I know it can be for some people. Um, and you know, you want answers, right? And so yeah. I wanted very much to talk to the person who was with him when he overdosed. And so that became like an obsession for me. And um, I did end up talking to them and, um, you know. Well, that's good. Well, yeah. I think it's one of those things where you do, but you don't, right? Right, exactly. Like, did I get answers? Yes. Were, did they help? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I was, I, it screwed me up for like two weeks, honestly. Like it really messed me up emotionally. Yeah. But, Cause I don't think we can understand. Right. And Even though you really want to. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. So I'm sure, I mean, nobody plans for it. That's for for sure. I'm sure he didn't either. So I guess you have some heartfelt feelings about that. He didn't plan for that. And yeah, I'm sure it just happened. Yeah. I mean, just a couple hours before he overdosed, he said via text, Gwen, I'm not going to overdose. Please stop making me say that. <laughs> he did not think it would happen. He would have never, um, wanted to do this to us. He worked so hard for us. He worked so hard for us and we were his everything. So. Yeah. yeah. It's really crazy, isn't it? Makes no sense. No matter how you try and get your head wrapped around it. It's like, right. What? Yeah. It, it makes no sense. There's no logic to it at all. Yeah. And I mean, I always bring this back up again, but Michael Jackson, who wanted out of his agony till he found a doctor that would give him 
something that would be stronger. I mean, he just wanted a moment of escape. Yeah. I think that's what people want is that moment of escape. They don't think that they're going to die. Right. That's so sad. We all want that escape, but we have to find it inside of us, I guess. And by helping other people like you're doing, it's, it's magic. Yeah. What you're doing. So so what do you think you have for your final message for our listeners? We're going to have you come back on in a few months, I think. We'll have an update of where you're at and what you're doing and stuff. But but for today. Um, You know, everything that I'm doing right now is inspired by Duffy. It's inspired by the man that he was and what he taught me. And um, he taught me to not care what people think. He taught That's me- a hard one. I know. And it's, it is far from perfect. Trust me. Uh, I care. <laughs> I care what people think still. Um, but it's so much better than it was. And he used to tell me, like, I have to get these things out. I have to get my feelings out. Maybe it makes some people uncomfortable, but that's, you know, that's their problem. That's their problem. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite things I've heard is, it's none of my business what other people think of me. It's so simple, but the first time I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, and that's paramount for me in recovery and with being vulnerable and ending the stigma. If you're in pain, if you're struggling, talk about it. What's the worst that could happen? It might feel like nobody cares, but I promise you there are people that care. You can find people that will support you. And if you put yourself out there enough, you'll find coping mechanisms and have experiences that you could have never imagined amazing, amazing experiences. Um, you know, for me, God has played such a huge part in my recovery and in my grief. And, you know, some people have issues with religion, so I understand that. Um, but it can be your higher power, which is what you talk about. We talk about in recovery. It can be just anything that's greater than you. Um, you know, leaning on community, leaning on faith, leaning on hope and um, not giving up and, and opening your heart enough to share what you're going through because you could also help somebody else by doing that. That's for sure. Um, well, it's beautiful. Thanks. And, and I, and I know what you're doing helps you. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's like this wonderful little circle. You help yourself and you're helping others and keeps going around. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That feels good. Um, I wish I knew how it was affecting my children, how chaotic the household affected them. Sharon says. So yeah. I mean, what mom doesn't, isn't in chaos. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to be like this perfect person and we were all given this manual to live by, like, you know, like, um, what does <laughs> chapter two say? <laughs> Let me just right. check. Yeah. 
Um, what do I do in this situation? <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice. I think we should create one. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, it's not like that, unfortunately. So, yeah, we just, um, yeah, it's crazy. Craziness. Well, thank you so very much. I will have you come back on, Gwen. I think we need to get it out there more with everybody. Um it's happening all around us. It could be your next door neighbor. It could even be your best friend. Yeah. But don't judge. Yeah. Be kind. Exactly. And be an ear to maybe there's a suggestion you can make to somebody one day, or it's just, if, if the person that's dealing with it could just say, what could I do? That's not that. What could I do that's going to make me feel as good as if I took that drug? But what could I do otherwise? But I know we don't sit there and analyze it like that. So that's right. not going to happen. Yeah. But if we could, what could we do? Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. But... I think we don't know what makes us feel good. Maybe it's that finding what that is. Absolutely. Other than that. Right. Because it's temporary. Yeah. It's not real. That's right. So many people are saying so proud of you, Gwen. So I'm, <laughs> uh, we are so proud of you. So um, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you come on our show today and everybody wants to hear more from you and everybody has some hurt out there that you can help. Hope so. Yeah, absolutely. There's hurt all around us. I'm, I know somebody's lost somebody around us just every day of the week. It's, it's uh, tough. So I'm looking forward to you working more with the grief part because that will be interesting to see how, how you find that. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to try, Gwen and I are going to try and do some TikTok lives as well. So stay tuned for that, everybody. And um, we're really going to try and um, rev this up a little bit. Let's do it. Talk about taboo a little bit more. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you for coming. Uh, when you're thinking about that someone special today which I know you are somebody in your mind right now that you would haven't talked to, but you'd love to say, I love you. And I care about you. Reach out to them, call them, FaceTime them, zoom them, phone them, knock on their door. Even we still have that. Um, do that today. Cause you don't know what tomorrow might bring. Stay tuned for our podcasts and our live streams. Interesting and accomplished people in the world today, just like Gwen, I think you'll be entertained, informed, and I hope we've inspired you and motivated you to start thinking about your unique plan because nobody is Superman in this world, even though I think Duffy ab absolutely have a moment of Superman moment in his time that when he did that because he thought it wasn't going to happen. And I think we all think that. And it's really, there's no age there's no color. There's no gender. It, it happens to everybody. Uh, celebrities, uh, 
homeless. It's everywhere, everywhere around us, person next door that you didn't even think. So, yeah, so that's the summary of that part all revved up. We are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook group. You're welcome to join our VIP group and talk about how you can get your crap together, how your aunt might have had a mess and how, how you're going to deal with that. Whatever it is, we have no judgment. We are all a part of a community that talks about getting our stuff together in a better way for your loved ones. And I always end with Carol Burnett because she's such a beautiful, lovely person. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started and before you know it comes a time we have to say so long. So long, everybody. Stay safe. Expect the unexpected. Be kind. Till next time. Thanks, Gwen. Thanks, Tina. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>